Formosa Files is sponsored by the Frank C. Chen Cultural Foundation. Frank Chen, Chen Qi Tuan, served as the mayor of Kaohsiung City from 1960 to 1968 and founded the Kaohsiung Medical College. Formosa Files. Formosa Files is back in Danshui, the strategic and historical town, an old treaty port, now really a, a city at the mouth of the Danshui River, which leads into Taipei. I'm with John Groot, Canadian and longtime Danshui resident, who walked around the coast of Taiwan and wrote a book about it called Taiwanese Feet, My Walk Around Taiwan. Cheers, mate. Hello, everyone. Before we get back to the Battle of Danshui, can you tell our listeners more about your book? Sure. Uh, I did the walk around Taiwan over eight years. And while I was doing it, I did blog posts. It was uh, Blogspot, Google Blogspot, about my walk with details of each day and pictures. And uh, although at the time I, I didn't have an intention to do a book when I was doing the project, this material, these detailed accounts and pictures was really useful as the base material for the book. And to the base material, what did you add? Well, later on, when I was putting the book together, I added more about the history of the places I went through, the geological history, some stuff about the indigenous inhabitants, and then the history of the various colonial powers that had taken over parts of Taiwan, or who had tried to. So the usual story, the Spanish, the Dutch, the Ming loyalist Jensen Gong and his descendants, the Qing takeover, the Japanese... Then after World War II and the Chinese Civil War, the million-plus people who came over from the mainland with the KMT, and then modernization, and then democracy. Wow, that's a lot to cover. Yes, it is. It's, it's actually too much to cover in, in any great detail. It was kind of an overview of that with some interesting stories where I found them. Well, last time we were talking about the Battle of Danshui. Yes. Danshui has become the area of Taiwan that I know best, so I was able to offer a little bit more detail last time than in, in the book. Okay, then. So we're still walking around, but we'll actually come back to your apartment. It was too windy outside. Sound quality's not very good. So when we're doing it, last time, where did we leave off and where are we now? Well, so we're, we're in my apartment drinking beer, mm. but in our narrative... We are walking more or less south along the main road people take to Fisherman's Wharf. If anyone's ever taken the bus or a U-bike or a taxi or walked to Fisherman's Wharf, they'll have walked by Zhongzhen Road, Section 1. And we've just left the area by the White Fort, now a customs station, and the bridge at Wadianbi, where the French Marines were repulsed just before noon on October 8th, 1884, the last day of the Battle of Danchui. And we're approaching... The objective that they'd been trying to reach, the sea mine camp. Uh-huh. Oh, another useful historical placard here. That's right. And uh, a great view. This is one of my favorite views in Danshui. The road, the main road, runs right by the Danshui River here. And we can look right across the river at Guaninsan. Always a magnificent sight. And downriver, we can see clearly all the way to the Guandu Bridge. And if we look up toward the river mouth, we can see where they're building the Danjiang Bridge, about 400 meters away. That's right, yes. And 
just this side of that would have been the sea mines, maybe about 300 meters, something like that from here. So where we are, the engineers would have been, and they would have had long cables stretching hundreds of meters to the mines, and they could have detonated the mines if the French ships had tried to enter the river mouth. So the Marines on land mm -hmm. were trying to reach this spot here and blow the mines up so the ships could sail in and then blast the enemy forces from close range with their superior cannon power. But that never happened, did it? Nope. Thanks to the effective preparation, strategy, and leadership of Imperial Commissioner Leo Mingchuan and General Sun Kaihua. So up that hill tower east is the golf course, and there's a sign that says Hubei Fort, or also known as Huwei Fort. That's where Sun had his main military camp. Yes, although that fort that stands there now, Hobei Fort or Huwei Fort, was built afterward because of the war. At the time of the battle, there were only uh, makeshift earthen fortifications where the golf course is now, officially known as the Taiwan Golf and Country Club, generally just called the Danshui Golf Course. And that area there was where the troops would have been camped. And that area also was heavily damaged by the French cannon fire. Well, there would have been some real good celebrations there after the Qing victory. Absolutely. It was apparently very raucous with soldiers parading about holding up the decapitated heads of French Marines. Ooh, that's a little bit grisly. If we were standing here at that time, October 8th, 1884, we might have seen that. Yes, but I don't think it would have been very safe for two European men to be walking around in this location just after the battle. Uh, we might have been mistaken for French and killed. Hmm, that's an interesting point. So the Europeans from the other countries who were residing in Danshui at that time must have been quite nervous about the whole uh, battle. Absolutely. So let's walk down the road a few hundred meters towards the Red Fort, as it was known at the time, and we'll talk more about that. Okay. Okay, so we've just walked a couple of hundred meters more or less south, the river on our right side, and we can see the old customs buildings on our right as well, nicely restored. Yes, the Imperial Maritime Customs needs some explanation. It's, uh, it's unusual. It was basically a tax collection agency for the Qing government, but run largely by foreigners, especially Brits. It was established in the 1850s during the Taiping Rebellion when the Qing government were struggling to collect tax. It also benefited the Western nations because they got to keep some of that money, uh, repayment for loans and for war reparations. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. Just down there, past the customs houses, there would be Hobei Port or Huwei Port, the main port area. And it's very common for, you know, tourists, day tourists to, to walk by that. But we're going up this hill here, and mm -hmm. you can see Fort San Domingo, or the Red Fort, as it's often known, and as it was known at the time as the Red Fort. And in 1884, it was the British consulate in Dantre, the time of the battle, British consul Alexander Freighter was a very well-respected man in the community, in the expat community. Yes. Just a word about the name Fort San Domingo. A Spanish name, but it's actually a Dutch fort, not really Spanish. The fort the Spanish built was a small wooden one and partly dismantled when they left. The Dutch built a new, stronger one and named it Fort Antonio. 
named after Anthony Van Diemen, who was the governor general of the Dutch East Indies Company down in Batavia. But anyway, what would have been going on here during the battle? Okay, well, let's remember that the Battle of Danshui occurred primarily on two days, October 2nd and 8th. On the 2nd, anyone here would have been cowering behind walls or under the floorboards as French shells were landing all over the place, and most people would have been somewhere else. But were they targeting areas where the expats lived? It seems that a lot of shells were landing in those areas, and the expats weren't very happy about it. There seems to be no logical reason for it, but according to the first-hand accounts of people who were here at the time, such as British tea merchant John Dodd and the famous Canadian George Leslie McKay, the French shells were landing all over the place, and noise of them and falling and exploding was terrifying. Was the British consul freighter here at the time? I doubt it. He would most likely have been on the British ship, the HMS Cockchafer, which was moored in the river. The HMS, so Her Majesty's ship. Uh, sorry, what was that name again? The Cockchafer. I beg your pardon, sir? The Cockchafer. Hmm. <laughs> An interesting point. Uh, Mackay was offered a chance to go aboard to get refuge from the shelling, but he refused because his Taiwanese converts to Christianity were not allowed to go with him. Okay. Uh, you said Mackay earlier, and now it's Mackay. I say Mackay. I think it's Mackay. I don't know why I say Mackay. <laughs> Mackay, Mackay. Let's call the whole thing off. All right. Mackay? Mackay, yes. Mackay. Yeah. Okay. It would be the Scottish pronunciation. And he was from northern Scotland, mm -hmm. and he he's very still very Scottish, even though he's Canadian. Yeah, he referred to himself as Scottish, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so where are we? We walked up to the top of a hill. Well, that was a steep climb, but uh, uh, relatively short at least. Yes, uh, so here we are in Zhenli Street, one of the most historical streets in Taiwan, especially if you're looking at foreign architecture or foreign-inspired mm -hmm. architecture from a, you know, in a historical period. And you just look down the streets, a narrow little street, with walls and old buildings, uh, Chinese-style buildings and Western-style buildings, just dripping with history, really. And Mackay's footprint is everywhere. Here's Junli University, mm -hmm. formerly Oxford College, named after Oxford County in Canada, not, ah, not Oxford University. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, apparently the, a lot of the residents of Oxford County in Ontario had contributed. So this is a mm. tribute to them. Now it's Junli University. You can see the preserved old building there. You can see it through the fence. Yeah, and yeah. part of that facade was damaged by a French shell. Wow. Oh, and there's the Danshui Girls' School. I recall uh, you told me of, uh, of recording. That was slightly damaged by the bombing too. That's right. Yes, exactly. And that was, uh, I think, is definitely the first girls' school in a modern sense in Taiwan. It may have been one of the first in, in East Asia, but uh, okay. On the left here is Danjiang Senior High School, mm -hmm. some really cool architecture. It was built after Mackay's death. It was built in the 1900s. But his grave is at the back, next to the Foreigner Cemetery, which is a very interesting little place. What's this beautiful old white building on the right? That is the Danshui Customs Officer's Residence, also known as the Little White House. Do you see those big depressions in the ground? Uh -huh. Those are the old blast craters from French shells. The government has decided to preserve them for history. Nice, nice. So it would have been raining shells in this area on October 2nd? Yes, yeah, some shells passed overhead. Some landed with a bang. 
many landed and didn't go off. It would have been a very scary day. And uh, oh, let's take this little road here. Mm -hmm. As you can see, it uh, leads to a walking bridge over the main road. Nice view of the river mouth from here. Down these steps to another little street, and the sign says this is Mackay Street. Mackay Street, yes. They sure let you know it with all the murals of Mackay, which are quite nice. And then, okay, moving down and looking to our left, you see that little red door about 30 meters away. Yes. That's the first accommodation Mackay had when he first arrived in Danchway. Uh, apparently, it was a converted horse stable Ooh. and not very glamorous. Pretty dilapidated today, but it's still used and maintained in a basic way by a group of local Christians. And around this corner, wow, that's a beautiful church, the Danchway Presbyterian Church. Yes, the Danchway Presbyterian Church, known by some as the Danchway Church. This version was built in 1933, replacing the original one built by Mackay. But this building here is original, the Mackay Clinic, although at that time it was referred to as the Hobay Clinic or just the Mission Clinic. During the battle on October 8th, wounded Qing soldiers were treated here by doctors Johansson, who was the chief surgeon here, mm -hmm. and Brown, the medical officer from the cockchafer. I guess this is one way that Mackay could show that he was not on the side of the French. He's helping the Qing soldiers. Absolutely, yes, indeed. And the foreign community here were very nervous about the possibility that anti-French sentiment by the Qing might have spilled over to the other Westerners who, you know, probably looked very similar to yeah, the Qing. Yeah, no kidding, yeah. And British residents reportedly hung British flags outside their doors to make, make sure people knew they weren't French. But Mackay was quite a philanthropist, so I'm sure he would have helped out in any case, even if that had not have been a factor. And did any of the Qing officials or soldiers get aggressive toward the non-French expats? Not according to any of the reports I've heard. The man in charge of Danshui at the time was General Sun Kaihua, and he was by all accounts a very urbane mm -hmm. and sophisticated man. He enjoyed chatting with some of the foreign residents. In fact, the expats had a lot of respect for him. And Dodd said, the British tea merchant John Dodd, said that Sun showed great courage during the shelling. What's the term the Brits use? He had a lot of bottle? Yes, in more ways than one. According to Dodd, he greatly enjoyed drinking French champagne. Hmm, French champagne. <laughs> Not a good choice. On a more serious note, I just want to point out that although the foreign community escaped unharmed, uh, no retribution, during and right after the Sino-French War, Taiwanese Christians did suffer. Some were killed, and I think seven Presbyterian churches were destroyed, burned down. Yes, yes. The British consul, Alexander Freighter, complained about this to Leo Mingchuan, who, to his credit, gave a sizable payment so that the churches could be rebuilt. So now we're coming to that famous statue of Mackay. It's one of the only public statues of a Westerner in Taiwan, as far as I know. Yes, the Mackay bronze statue in the Triangular Park uh, on the old street of Danchang. Do you like it? Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. So it's, it's, it's an interesting statue. Anyway, so now we're down into the really busy part of the old street, and here's the famous Fuyo Temple, a Matsu Temple. And according to some sources, after the battle, the heads of six French Marines were hung here on a bamboo scaffolding. Uh, the infamous French heads of the Battle of Danchway. The display of heads of enemies was a 
common practice during the Qing dynasty. Yeah, like imagine seeing the you know the idea of seeing heads displayed as trophies would be quite shocking. So, what does the historical record tell us about the heads? Well, there seems to be different accounts. There is, as far as I know, no definitive, historically solid, verified version of what happened to the heads. Dodd says that there were six French heads paraded around the town of Danchui by Qing soldiers. Dodd was in the area at the time. Remind people who Dodd was. John Dodd was a British tea merchant and one of the very successful tea merchants. He really helped develop the tea industry in northern Taiwan. Absolutely. So if growing up you'd ever heard the name Formosan oolong tea, Mm -hmm. it was probably because of John Dodd. Okay, so he's, he's a pretty reliable witness. Well, he was around. So, yeah, he, he seems to be one of the more reliable witnesses at the mm-hmm. time, for sure. So he said there were six French heads paraded around the town by Qing soldiers. Three of these would probably have been the heads of Lieutenant Lafontaine and the two French Marines that mm-hmm. had stayed back to help him. The other three could have come from other Marines killed on that day. Oh, by the way, I heard this account from uh, my friend, Mr. Lin, and he's a well-known amateur historian. He's given presentations on the Battle of Danchui at Danjiang University. So basically, he's given presentations to the, their history department because his family has been in the Danchui area for centuries, and he owns that building over there. Danchui Fishball Museum. Hmm. It's a little bit better than Fishy Goodies Museum, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, they also serve craft beer. Hmm. Now, according to Mr. Lin, and the owner at that time was a rich man who had helped finance the defense of Danchui. And so they have some record from this building and the people and some accounts. And Mr. Lin says the story is that people at the time saw the six heads hung across the street at the temple from the bamboo scaffolding. Okay. I think I read somewhere there were eight heads at the Qing camp. Yeah, another eight heads. And uh, Consul Freighter and Cockchafer Captain Bottler, who's also an important man at the time, went to the Qing camp to ask Sun to have the heads buried decently. Did that happen? I can't find any proper records of accounts of the eventual disposition of the heads. Apparently, Sun, he received them. He agreed mm-hmm. to have them buried. As I said earlier, he was considered to be a decent man. Yes. But if so, where were they buried? And which camp were they at? The one behind the new fort or the main camp where Liu Mingchun's main force was standing by? between the city walls and Dihua Street area. Perhaps Sun had gone there to report after the battle. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. There's even a rumor by some local amateur historians that maybe Lieutenant Lafontaine's head was buried by freighter on the the grounds of Fort San Domingo. There could be a head buried there. That's just a rumor. John, let's grab some shovels. (laughs) No, 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 no. No, great. Uh, There's always more to find out with history, isn't there? Yes, there is. Yeah. And Danchui is a great place for that, a rich with many layers of history. I'm impressed by how much you know about Danchui's history. Uh, and I'm also impressed by the new Taipei city government, all those informative placards they've had around our walk. Yeah. Yeah. They've done a great job for that. Absolutely a great job. And the artwork along the LRT, there's some beautiful artwork mm-hmm. as well. That's all quite modern. The, the placards and the artwork is quite modern. But there are also some bas-relief stone carvings in the Qingshui Temple, one of the two major temples in Danchui, just up that hill a bit, mm-hmm. showing the resident god, Zhu Shi, aiding the Qing against the French. So you saw that, you'll see a picture of the 
carving of the French soldiers on one side and the Qing on the other, and Zhu Shi, Qing Shui Zhu Shi, hovering in the air, helping the Qing. And it's pretty amazing to have temple art of a historical event like that. Yes, but divine intervention aside, the Battle of Danshui does show that the defender's advantage, the defender's advantage can be absolutely decisive. If the defenders are adequately prepared, even when they're outgunned. Yes, and makes you think of another possible invader, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Uh, anyway, what were the wider ramifications of the Battle of Danshui? Well, it's kind of interesting. The French hung on in Jilong for a long, miserable winter. Mm. You know, Jilong is famous for miserable oh, winters. Yeah. Imagine camping out in a military encampment for the winter. Mm. Some of the French named it Fort Misère, the Fort Misery. Ho, ho. Later on, Admiral Corbet's Far East Squadron blockaded Taiwan for a time. In April 1885, the French and Qing finally came to an agreement, which was in fact the same agreement they had come to before the Sino-French War really kicked off in August 1884. The um, tragedy of war. Yeah. So, so the entire war, the, the Keelong Campaign, the Battle of Danchui, turned out to be almost pointless. Yeah. The French did eventually achieve their strategic objective, gaining full control of Vietnam. But we all know, you know what happened there later. And Japan took over Taiwan in 1895. The Qing dragon was still fierce, but it was sick and no match for the colonial lions attacking it on all sides. Nice, nice. Colonial lions attacking it on all sides, the dragon, yeah. And over a century later, the PRC puts a lot of effort into keeping alive that feeling of resentment against foreign colonial powers. Yes, they certainly do. And in a way, that's one reason why we, we all like history, isn't it? It's still alive today in one way or another. Oh. Hey, mate, it's been a long walk and talk. Uh, would you like to go to Mr. Lin's place for a break? For the fish bowls or the craft beer? The beer, of course. Cheers. Cheers. You've been listening to... John Good. And John Ross in Dan Shui on the Trail of History. <laughs>